Welcome to the Arts Union Science Journal. Please enter your password. Union Science Journal. Welcome back to the journal that intends to analyze movies the way others analyze science. Today we humbly present yet another episode of Volume 7. Actually, I say yet another, but I believe this is actually the first episode of Volume 7. It is called The Production of Evil Dead Plagued by Batch-to-Batch Variability in Comedic versus Horror Racemic Mixtures, colon, A Rope of Sand. My name is Tyler D.R. Vance. As always, I am your corresponding author, and joining us this week is Stephen Harvey, but his friends call him Steve? Hello. Hi. I wasn't sure if I could say hi yet, or do I sit here in silence for 15 minutes while you introduce it? But hello. We have admittedly no rules here, but um, funny just enough, no one chaos. has just broken in. Exactly. No one has just broken in <laughs> when I'm just like, dear reviewers, and they're like, hi, I'm here too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was tempted. I will say I was tempted. That's fair. That's fair. Um, so usually when we have a new first author come on for the first time, we like to talk to them a little bit about their like resume when it comes to movies, as in kind of like what is like makes you the go-to person to sit here and chat about film for is like, well, it used to be three hours, but now luckily we've, we've, we've become a lot more brisk in our speaking. And so we're down to like around 0.5 hours. However, I don't really need to ask you that because you actually have a resume that's plastered on the interwebs known as Things I Fear, a wonderful blog that has about many, many different things, but includes quite a few very interesting horror movie reviews. Um, Would you like to talk a little bit about Tip or Things I Fear before we start in? Yeah, well, thank you for the introduction. I'm, I'm glad I barely had to pay you that much for that. <laughs> so yeah, no, it, it's it's great to be here. I've, uh, you know, I think it's kind of a cliche, but you know, first time, long time, whatever the hell the expression is, probably shouldn't have led to something I've never actually said out loud before. Uh, but I've listened to the show for a while. I like it. Being here is very humble. It's a very humbling experience, um, even for all my internet fame and popularity. <laughs> It's like, I, I, it's like you you are indeed one of the foremost content creators on the internet and i always look forward to your your uploads well i mean just do a google search for for steve harvey i mean there, there you go <laughs> you're all over the place <laughs> need I say more no <laughs> no it's it's really uh this is a cool thing to be here I'm, I'm really really happy for the opportunity um you know a little bit intimidated not gonna lie i listened to a few episodes and you kind of go oh god these people they're, they're smart and, and they're funny. I, I don't have a chance. I, I, it's it's kind of like, um, you know, if, if you think back in school, you know, maybe you spend like a full week preparing for the uh, big history exam. You know, you're trying to memorize all the dates. You're trying to memorize people's names and battles and locations, all that fun stuff. You got friends helping you with the like, um, you know, the, the, the cue cards or flashcards and all that. You walk into the uh, you walk into the classroom, you're ready to go. And it's a math exam. That's kind of what it feels like for me right now. I'm here. I'm ready to do it. But for as much as I feel like I'm prepared, well, we'll see. We'll see. Ask me in three hours. 
<laughs> you know, I think I feel that I feel that it's like it's uh, everyone's had that moment where they show up to the test and they wonder themselves, can I do it? But I have my must say everyone always shows up to the test wondering, can I do it? And we come out the other end and then invariably the first authors are the best part of the podcast, which is the only reason why I still have. I was about to call this a job, but I think other than the like, hefty sum you paid for me in order to like shill your stuff on the Internet, I don't really make any money off of this. So. Hey, I'm just looking forward to the bell curve on this one. That, that's that's what I'm aiming for. <laughs> well, we have a pretty nice bell curve. But the great thing is <laughs> that we don't even have to worry about putting too much work in this because this is actually the first episode in our I Need a Vacation volume. Um, because academics, amongst many other professions, but academics are what I know, are notorious for cutting short their holiday plans, refusing to make much needed vacation, and generally sidelining their mental health in the interest of capital S science. Uh, to promote a better work-life balance, the Arts Union Science Podcast will be releasing episodes to coincide with the major holidays and breakworthy festivities left to us in 2022. So this episode is technically tethered to the unholy realm of Canadian Thanksgiving, which is halfway through October for all you U.S. people out there, um, but is obviously influenced by October's hefty rebrand as Spooky Month. Have you heard of October being referred to as Spooky Month? And if so, what are your thoughts? <laughs> oh man! First question already caught off guard. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to say no. I've never heard of that one before, but I am here for it. That, that's amazing. Um, it, it's something where I feel like if I did a little bit of research, I probably could have had something witty prepared. But here we are. Um, no, I, that's that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad you've already introduced me to something I've never heard of before. Yeah, you know, I'm. I must say that I, I'm not. I wasn't a big fan of the rebrand at the beginning because October seemed perfectly fine to me. But any opportunity to just spend the entire month watching scary movies when my wife looks at me and goes like, "Why are you watching that?" I'm like, "I can't help it. It's Spooky Month. It's oh. it's, it's in the name. What so, are you supposed to do?" So Spooky Month is kind of like my entire calendar year. Then, I, I, pretty I've, much. <laughs> yeah, I, I've watched a lot of horror movies, and I don't need October or Spooky Month to tell me. That today is spooky month. Every day is spooky month. Every single goddamn day is spooky month. <laughs> and so that will lead us very nicely into this episode, which is going to be about the Evil Dead and its myriad of different associated things. Um, but before we get started, a reminder that you can always email your corresponding author, which is me, at theartsunionscience at gmail.com, all one word with no caps. You can also find this podcast on Facebook, but not Twitter, because I'd inadvertently raise an army of torturous ghouls if I ever partook in that particular form of social media. And with that, we can get into the episode proper. Uh, for those of you who are reviewing our episodes for the very first time, our analysis usually follows traditional sections present in a scientific paper, which means we're going to be starting with the introduction, a very good place to start. Section 1. Introduction. All right, so on to the introduction. This is the portion of the our fun little analysis thing that actually places the film into context, providing a brief history of the film that is both objective and subjective. We also like to start with a brief plot summary. Um, brief sometimes being a very, very kind of loose term of the, of the word. Um, but in this case, actually, I can say that we are pretty brief because The Evil Dead doesn't have a whole lot in the way of plot. Um, and that is not me like ribbing it or making fun of the movie. I think it actually works in its benefit in a lot of ways because it's not really interested in the plot per se. Um, but before we get into everything talking, we do need to cover the plot as it stands. And for all of you, uh, those of you who are wondering, we are referring to the plot of The Evil Dead, 
that was made in 1981 and released in 1983. Not Evil Dead, although it has a very similar plot. Not Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn, which is pretty much the same <laughs> plot at the beginning and then changes. Not Army of Darkness, which has the same plot for the Ugh. first five minutes and then goes completely <laughs> different. Like, or Ash vs. the Evil Dead, which has a very different plot, but a very similar feel. We are talking about the very first film, the Evil, like the Evil Dead, and then I'm sure the other things will bleed in as we go. Naturally. 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 <laughs> there, you see that the, the, bl- the blood pun there was intentional. Did you see, did you see what I did? I liked there? it. I liked it. Yeah, I'm, 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 pretty, I'm pretty happy with myself. So, yeah. Do we do we hold for applause? What, what what's kind of protocol? Here? I'm, I'm sure I'm sure that Felicity <laughs> Jane's will will have some applause playing right now as we speak. Thank you, Felicity. Your service is noted. All right. Plot summary: It's a normal night in the woods of Tennessee. Five friends are just hanging out. What could possibly go wrong? Well, quite a bit, actually. Turns out that the cabin in which they are staying happens to belong to a professor who's dabbling in the occult, and creepy shit is afoot. uh, Despite a veritable smorgasbord of warning signs, including a self-banging swing, a possessed illustration session, and a trapdoor that slams open on his own to reveal a creepy basement containing an even creepier-ass book that's bound in human flesh and ink in human blood, the teens stick around. Worse, they are actually play it's like the some of the professor's tapes that feature translations from the Naturum Demento, like Demonto, Naturum Demonto. Uh, you, you can you can call it that, sure. Yeah, it's, it's also known as the Necronomicon or the Necronomnom, as I like to call it, um, because it has a mouth on the front of the book, <laughs> or the Book of the Dead, which is probably the simplest way to like to go for it. And really, those featured translations are really where things start to get really bad. As the night progresses, the teens are slowly possessed by a demonic force that turns them into white-eyed, dirty-mouthed ghouls intent on murdering their former friends. Through all the blood and horror, one of the male teens, named Ash, a thick-chinned beta with a heart of gold and the penchant for gifting pretty, uh, very pretty, but very plastic necklaces that are painted silver, slowly emerges as the final girl of the quintet. To earn that right, he has to lock his deranged sister in the basement, bury the dismembered corpse of his best friend's girl, decapitate and bury his own girlfriend, and then fight off the unwanted murderous advances of his aforementioned best friend through some good old-fashioned eye-gouging. In the end, the only way to stop these demonic friends turned foe is to burn the unholy book that turned them into this. As dawn breaks, a broken ash emerges, numbly from the cabin, covered in blood amongst other more colorful but less identifiable liquids. But the power of the book could not be undone, and the camera, now flying towards is like Ash through the cabin, has a will of its own. That's how I see Evil Dead. It was actually released in 1983 to the tune of almost $3 million worldwide. Considering its minuscule budget of $375,000, that's a pretty damn good return. It probably made a lot more in the actual video is like sales as well, because that was a thing that used yep. to happen back in the 1980s. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, well said. No. Exactly. On the critical side, things are also coming up groovy with a score of 95% on the review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes with an N of 63 critics. Interestingly enough, Stephen King actually gave one rave review calling it one of the scariest and most original horror films of that year. Yeah, that's right. It was amazing. Can you you imagine better press than that? You come out of this as like Stephen King is like is saying that your movie is one of the best horror movies of the year. It's like just... Well, well, especially because you said, like, going in there with really no budget, really no expectations either, in what would turn out to be a really revolutionary film. And, and you're right. You're kind of going in there, yeah, hoping for the best. We'll see what happens. And then you know, Stephen King comes in and goes, yeah, whatever this is, gold. Do it again. <laughs> I would like another. No, yeah. I would like two more. <laughs> I want a television series that goes for four seasons. <laughs> 
Oh man, yeah, that, that that's uh, in- incredible. I don't know. I don't know if that's just dumb luck or if that's just the the commitment of the the team involved in making it happen. Because it's uh, how it how it really went from from nothing to what it is today. Forty, you know, forty years later, still arguably the greatest horror movie of really revolutionized the genre. But forty years later, still relevant, still very much a good movie to watch. Incredible. Well, yeah, and it's like, and its objective history is pretty much like, like just strewn with all manners of like, I wouldn't say awards, but accolades, things that people as like say that they're the like whether it's Stephen King or any of the critics that were is like born after is like two thousand or any of these like, there's so much love for this movie and it's peppered throughout its history. Um, but I am interested in some getting a little bit more subjective because you were talking about how great a movie it is. I am interested what your subjective history is with this film and its franchise. What was the first time you watched it? When it was like, how many times have you watched it? What is your story, Stephen? <laughs> well, I mean, I was just going to read off a Wikipedia page, but yeah, that, that'll work too. <laughs> no, it, it's a, it's it's a movie that you know, uh, the, the way I kind of think about it. It's kind of like the greatest movie that you've probably heard of, but never actually watched. When you think of those kind of horror movies from the, you know, going back 80s, but even before that as well, you probably know the name, probably know the references, but are more familiar with the remake or other kind of, uh, you know, loose references in pulp culture, never actually watching the movie. This is one where if you have not genuinely watched the original, watch it. Genuinely, it is a good movie. It is really, it's really gimmicky, really low budget, really hokey. And you're right, really no discernible plot to really speak of <laughs> other than, uh, you know, some, some things happen and uh, you know, no spoilers over here. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's a premise more than a it's like, it's like than a plot. <laughs> that's, that's fair. And I'm trying to shy away from the uh, the natural spoilers I, I tend to do in, in most of my writing on uh, on things I fear, where, where I, I quite frankly ruin movies for people. Trying not to do that here. Oh, I will you, say, I was like, oh you should. I just I just gave an entire <laughs> plot summary. You, you heard it. Don't it's worry true. about that. We are we are a like a spoilerific podcast here, which I usually say at the beginning of all of my plot summaries, but I somehow forgot here because you need to know. We don't care about the wants and wins of those who haven't seen <laughs> The Evil Dead yet. This movie came out in 1981. Actually, it came out in 1983, but it was made in 1981. <laughs> and really like, before that, there, there was a short story that, that actually kind of inspired the longer film. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, what was it called? Something in the Woods. Um, I'm blanking on the name right yeah, now. Yeah, the short film, that which they actually made in order to um, in order to get the film financed. Yeah, it's like, correct. Uh, yeah, it was like, uh, like, like almost like an EP. Like you're, 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 you're putting out your demo tape and you're just kind of like, anybody sign me? No? <laughs> Anyone? Anyone? Yeah. <laughs> no, but it worked out well for them. I mean, when you think and you think about the fact that so so many movies today are kind of built around this premise, where you've kind of got the, the the canonical horror movies, and they kind of all own their own independent kind of genres. Where you know you think of a, a paranormal movie with a ghost. Okay, you could probably name five, ten movies right there. You've got your vampire, your werewolf. You've got all those zombies. Sure, but they all kind of have a little bit of Evil Dead in them, in that it, some of them can go 100% horror comedy, some of them go 100% scary horror, and then you've kind of got the in-between that really, that, that's what Evil Dead, I don't want to say, you know, 
kind of kind of the original of that concept but in a lot of ways yeah they they kind of did revolutionize the genre yeah i think you're very much right and uh, I'm really excited to get into talking about that kind of like mixture of like of different genres. I think it's one of the coolest things about this. Interestingly enough, for me, I am I'm exactly the kind of person that you're talking about. I had no history of the Evil Dead because I had like never seen the movie until this like uh, this uh, most recent watch. But that said, I wasn't actually what you call a neophyte to Raimi's Deadite saga because back in a is like a tent like a, it was a trailer in a trailer park in northern ontario and it's like <laughs> i was very young too young a much too young version of myself when my cousin curtis said have you seen the movie army of darkness i said <laughs> no what is that he said it's this great movie it's awesome it's like this strange little like it's like uh, he used a bunch of words like uh, cult and gore festival like that but i had no idea what it was i'm like all right watched it and yeah, Army of Darkness was my first experience. I ended up watching Army of Darkness a lot when I was younger. And I and so even watched it some more when I got younger. It was like not until probably like early university that I realized that Army of Darkness was actually part of a is like a trilogy. And not only was it part of a trilogy, it was the end of that trilogy. <laughs> there were two other movies that existed before that. I'm like, what? <laughs> I guess it's like, and then it made more sense the more I thought about it. Because I'm like, oh, the other movies are just like the first five minutes of this, but like in feature length film format. Um, and so, like coming in with that history, like I, I knew this fa- franchise as Army of Darkness more than anything else. And so, as as we're going to talk about, you can kind of imagine my surprise coming into this and finding that the Evil Dead, at the very least is a legit horror movie like as and when i mean legit i mean it is actively going for horror at times yeah that's right um as opposed to like army of darkness which has horror moments but yeah but it it is it is it is (laughs) it's synthesized into something else Um, anything that takes place in in the you know medieval times where you're fighting undead with a shotgun for a hand you know there's, there's a little bit of uh you know a little bit of um what's the word i'm looking for not genuine fear involved in that one that's more of a we're going for something a little different on this this one yeah yeah sam remy's tongue is boring a (laughs) hole in his cheek it is so deeply in there (laughs) which i think actually happens is one of the uh the you know methods of attack in the uh i believe in the second one at one point something goes horribly wrong with the tongue and cheek but i I digress (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well before we get into talking about tongues and cheeks and where they get as they end up we do have to unfortunately take a slight detour into we are scientists after all it's like isn't that right we're both scientists here of different of different genres we both sure. study different things in our like in our daily lives it's like but we do have to take a slight detour into materials and methods Section 2, Materials and Methods. The Materials and Methods is a comprehensive guide to the equipment and methodology that we used to watch the movie. In theory, the information given should be detailed enough to allow others to reproduce the results of our viewing experience. Um, so would you like me to go first in terms of like mine? Because mine is quite quite boring in terms of the way that I watched Evil Dead. But it's also like, I don't know how many, how many times have you watched Evil Dead, would you say? Uh, well, that's a tough one. Uh, I, I tend to kind of go through these phases where I'll, I'll watch a, another horror movie and I'll kind of be reading about it after the fact, trying to kind of learn a little bit more about it. And, and I'll kind of read along the way something like inspired by, you know, 
insert moment from Evil Dead, and I go, oh yeah, that's right. I should rewatch that movie because that's right. This does reference it. So I've probably seen the remake, like the, well, I, I'm using air quotes. You can't see I'm using air quotes. It's a podcast, <laughs> but I'm using air quotes right now for the word remake, more of a, you know, a, a reimagined, I guess. I've probably seen the 2013 version five or 10 times, and I've seen the original one and two uh, somewhere around that number. I, and I, I have not yet ventured into Army of Darkness. Really? St- strictly because it's got that real Monty Python Holy Grail feel to it, where I just don't feel I could take it seriously without holding my you know hands up like I'm clapping two coconuts together. I just don't feel like I can make it through genuinely watching this movie and, and, and watching it from beginning to end. Now, I, I, I realize that might shock you as someone who kind of uh, was introduced to the franchise through Army of Darkness, but that's just me. Um, but no, I've, I've seen... <laughs> I've seen a lot of Evil Dead, let me tell you. <laughs> well, that's fair, because for me, this was the first time. So this is my materials and methods for how I watched the Evil Dead for the first time. First thing you have to do is you have to wait for a week where your significant other, who hates horror movies with a fiery passion that could rival Lucifer's own, is out of town. They've left the apartment, Good. and you're in the dead of night, all on your own disease. So you have to set up a comfy nest of sorts in the crux of an Ikea for for I can't pronounce that word. It's an L-shaped couch. Um, and you use three blankets and a series of especially voluminous pillows. You then burrow into said nest, accompanied by 500 centimeters cubed of white cheddar smart food as nutritional media and a bone shaker IPA from Amsterdam Brewery, no Advo, as an alcoholic supplement. And I did choose that specifically because I know that you do like it. And I thought, I, and it I got a, a, yeah, I got a big smile on my face right now. <laughs> it has a skeleton on it. I'm like, oh, perfect. <laughs> Or the army of darkness, there's going to be skeletons in this thing, right? There, there were no skeletons in this. Every, <laughs> everything that's undead in here is way more fleshy. Um, um, I then rented the Evil Dead from it's like on uh, YouTube and began to watch it on my 42 inch sharp TV. Um, and I enjoyed it so much that I repeated that same that same routine every night for three nights straight in order to watch the rest of them. Is like Evil Dead one, the Evil Dead two, Dead by Dawn, Army of Darkness, and then the remake, Evil Dead. Um, how about you? Did you end up rewatching the Evil? You did. You were telling me that you rewatched it for the Evil Dead. What is your general experience for watching the Evil Dead, so that the viewers can try to replicate this as closely as possible? Okay. All right. The great question. And let me try to let me try to paint a picture for you. Okay, I'm ready. So, in preparation for this podcast, right now, when when your people contacted my people, and we kind of yep. try to work it out. Uh, we, we we know there, there's contract legal involved during all of that fun and games that they were working through I months said, and months that's right but we made it happen tyler we are here <laughs> <laughs> i was able to kind of say i'm gonna rewatch all of these mm-hmm. and in fact i'm going to begin with the remake the re- reimagined oh. more modernized i'm gonna begin with that one and then go back to the original two to kind of see how do we get to this point hmm. so picture this all right okay Right. First of all, I'm on the couch because, of course, you're on the couch. What, what are you going to be on the floor? I, I don't think so. So no. I'm on the couch looking yeah. at the TV. Gotcha. TV connected to a laptop via HDMI cable. 
classy. Why? Because I stream all my content. Because I'm not going to pay for it myself. Are you kidding me? Oh, no. Me? <laughs> hey, hey, I, I, I'm the worst. I'm willing to admit that. And that's fine. And yet, I'm outsmarting the system by doing that. So, who, who's that's the true. genius now? So, you got the, <laughs> you got the laptop connected. You got all three movies kind of queued up, ready to go, one after another. You hit those lights. You grab a bottle or, or a glass, whatever you, whatever you're feeling of your your favorite beverage of your choice. Uh, bone shaker, great one. Not an ad, you know. Hashtag not an ad. Yeah, uh, but but certainly one that I would highly recommend. Uh, but in my case, I grabbed the most expensive gin that I had in the house because I'm very pretentious and I like to brag about mm-hmm. my alcohol consumption to strangers online listening to a podcast I'll never meet. So <laughs> one by one, movies all three in a row, beginning with the remake okay and i Mm -hmm. will say controversial statement here okay the remake is better than the first two movies oh yeah okay i I know i know pushback i know you just lost half your audience i apologize no actually I i probably lost half the audience but gained another swarm that just somehow knew in the ether someone bad mouthing the original evil dead and just showed up at this moment in the podcast they skipped exactly to this moment with supernatural knowledge they knew exactly where to come it's probably already gone viral by this point it happens now from my perspective that we'll get into why why that's my opinion in just a moment but you got to watch all three movies one sitting and i'm talking the, the remake the first one second one and then if you want to delve into anything beyond that by all means go for it just refill your glass you'll be good to go but <laughs> in my case watch the movies credits start rolling immediately i start feverishly taking notes to make sure i actually have something intellectual to talk about for when i got onto this podcast however i'm going to go back to the comment i made it's controversial it's surprising yep. mm-hmm. but i will say that the the remake or the the reimagined version the 2013 i thought was better and i say that only because i feel like things have changed so much since going back to the early 80s that what this what the movie did was take all of those kind of classic moments all of those kind of this is what embodies uh, pun definitely intended uh, evil dead this is these are the moments that kind of make this movie unique memorable and for other movies to kind of eh, not rip off but certainly heavily reference as as something to kind of build on the the 2013 version does all of that with significant nods to kind of say you know we we're just kind of modernizing a classic we are building on something great that certainly it, it ain't broke don't fix it we're just going to kind of do it 30-ish years later in, in a very a, a way that can be enjoyed by everyone, those who are new to horror, those who have no idea what horror is, those who are, are looking for gore, looking for plot, which is something that you're right, that the first two really didn't have, and, and arguably really no reason to have it. But something that the the, the remake kind of says this works today and you can still go back and watch the originals and feel like you didn't really miss a beat. Mm -hmm. Did you, so did you find it was an interesting experience like shifting from the, is like the new one to the old one? Cause I do wonder is like, if part of that is just like, 
the the difference between both of them in terms of like production value like in terms oh, of what they can bring not even it's close. night it's night yeah. and day it's it, like, it, it so really it, is yeah it almost feels like in the way that you like how i watch it like evil dead one two army of darkness and then like uh evil dead there's like a ramping up of like quality in terms of production value so like there was never a moment of kind of like the jarring thing of like going from one to that it's like whenever they do those like kind of fun fan cuts of star wars movies but you're always going to have that in, like inevitable part where like you're watching something that's a miniature and then like you like the movie ends like oh that's nice and then you go to the next movie and it's like freaking like cgi like all right and then it goes back to miniature like it's just it's hard to kind of like rectify those things in your it's like in a mo- very modern mindset you, you know i think you're a hundred percent correct and, and I'll, I'll describe the way i kind of watched the the 2013 version in comparison to the first two the 2013, I'm kind of leaning back in, on the couch, kind of just watching, and and the music, the 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 score, if you will, uh, that, that's kind of accompanying the movie. You, you can kind of tell exactly when things are about to happen, and therefore it's kind of a musical cue to to lean onto the edge of your seat, knowing something's about to happen. In the original, they don't really do that. You're basically on the edge of your seat the whole time. Because you genuinely don't know what is about to happen or how or why or when. Things are just happening that you just need to prepare for. I love that about the first two. And they really can't compare to the, to the modernized version of it. But you know, all the, all the, all the low-budget effects that the, the first two had, you, you definitely feel that for sure. You're watching something that you know, very much privately funded, very much something where you can tell they, they, and they were, this is fact, they, they were trying to get more people to kind of buy in and help support the film. They were trying to get money from anybody and everybody that they knew to just be able to do, to produce something versus the, 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 re, the reimagined version. They had all the money in the world to do whatever they wanted with it. I will say it is more entertaining to watch the the reimagined version, but that is not disparaging the first two because you, <laughs> the, the, those are the those are the roots of. And again, I'm using another pun that I that, that time was accidental, but I'm gonna that, go. That's for a good it. one too. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm <laughs> so happy. Felicity, get the get the applause in here. Get the applause again. Okay, <laughs> Thank that you. was good. <laughs> Uh, but but genuinely the the where those two were built from i it's 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 masterful how how far it's come but really you can you can rewatch those and and still legitimately enjoy it despite all of its kind of uh, limitations from a, a financial perspective well i think that's a perfect segue to get into the actual meat and potatoes of any scientific publication which would be the results and discussion section Section three, results and discussion. All right. So the results of any scientific publication is where you are actually presenting your newly acquired data and the frameworks that you use to analyze them, as opposed to the discussion, which takes that newly acquired data and then connects it to all the different things that have come before, asking key questions about its place in the wider canon and hopefully answering them. And so this episode is actually beginning the a little bit of a new format for our results and discussion section. So thank you for being the guinea pig. Great. Yeah, that's, that's why I'm here. 
everyone loves to be a guinea pig so we're actually is like we're actually going to start in this case was like uh, if you all remember we have our lovely homebrewed analysis models the lorenzis detractor model the baker's elemental minimization model the other ones that no one chose despite the fact that i spent a long time thinking about them um not bitter but <laughs> because every time i put forward and it would always end up being the same too i decided that i would just take get rid of the rest and just incorporate both of those models together in one so it's like what we're going to be doing is we're going to be starting with the Lorenzis detractor is a preamble, which is just a good way to start a chat. And then by the end of the conversation, we'll actually look into the Baker's elemental minimization model, which is actually looking at a favorite scene and then comparing it to an element. So starting a little bit general and then becoming much more specific. Um, so for those of you who are listening for the first time, and those of you who just like to hear the sound of my voice, I will describe the Lorenz's detractor preamble for you. It was named after Edward Norton Lorenz, the father of chaos theory, and its most popular offspring, the butterfly effect. And in this case, our results and discussion section starts with a simple question. What did you think of the movie? From there, a combination of unknown variables forge a freeform discussion with twists and turns beyond prediction. The starting question may be the same every time, but there's no telling where the conversation will be swept off to. And this is usually the portion where I would turn to my co-author, who's somewhere in digital space, so I don't know where I would look. I'd probably look somewhere around here or something. And I would ask him, what did you think of the movie? But I'm not going to do that because viewers, listeners, rabble, a weird thing happened the other day where I opened my door and I found a box sitting outside the front door. And inside that box was an old school tape recorder and a series of video cassettes. There was a simple note that just said, heard you were talking about the evil dead. You should listen to these. And so then I decided that I should listen to them. And then you, the viewer, should also get to hear the strange content that exists on these here video cassettes. So here is the first one. Hello, Jonathan. It is I, Satan, your friend. I was wondering, why do you like the Evil Dead movies? Just asking, you know, for another friend. Why do I enjoy the Evil Dead series so much? The answer to the question why I like Evil Dead so much is quite easy. I don't think I ever watched a movie that uh, was as clearly a work of love. And the people that were doing the thing, they enjoyed every single moment of it. The, the special effects, they show. And it's part of the charm. You can't imagine yourself being there, seeing Sam Raimi and his brother in a rubber suit in the middle of summer, just doing their thing. And... Um, that's it. It's all about seeing oneself with the crew filming this. I can almost smell the corn syrup with raspberry coloring flooding the cabin and splashing on my shoes while I watched the movie. Um, and this is true of all, all entries in the series. I mean, when they did Evil Dead 2, it's just a remake of the first one with more budget. They had more money to have more fun. That's what it was. And it, it is absolutely contagious, and I just love it. Uh, when it comes to the third installment, um, I watched this movie uh, probably way too young. But, I mean, what is there not to love about <laughs> going back in time and fighting the undead? Um, 
it, I think it, it, it's been the trope now in my uh, time travel fantasies. What? You don't have time travel fantasies yourself? Going back to the medieval time with present knowledge and be like, wait a second, I'll show you how to do explosions and stuff. I don't know. I feel it. Once again, a work of love and practical effects, minimal CG, you got stop motion. It's just, it just transpire enjoyment. So this is why I like it. It's because the people who did it, they like it themselves. Okay, well, I don't know how Satan got Jonathan's number, but I'm glad that those two were working it out. Um, Jonathan brought up some really interesting points that I think actually speak kind of to what we were talking about in the materials and methods. And it's for many of us, I think myself and yourself included, there is like, like there is something kind of off-putting or at least um, a little bit of a barrier that exists with old school effects, especially the effects that are like, you know, obviously done on a lower budget. They're done in a time before we had a lot of interesting things around to be able to like, just make it look smooth. Um, and a lot of early horror movies got around that in ways that we've discussed on this very podcast. Jaws hid the shark for a long time. <laughs> Halloween yeah. like kind of is like works around like just having like a William Shatner mask and just relying on a lot of like interesting camera choices to like really ramp up the like the attention. There is another methodology though when you have this and you just lean into it. You lean into the fact that your blood looks like like crimson syrup you lean into the fact that that's clearly not the man's face when you that you just shoved your thumbs into (laughs) in order to get like you you lean into that stuff and what jonathan's talking about is really that feeling that you get of kind of like a like do-it-yourself joy of watching something before you that you know isn't real but you know comes from a place of kind of like love and joy and um Oh, I think th- th- there's no question that the, the passion and enthusiasm that just where, where you're just really saying, yep, this is it. I'm going to own it. And if you don't like it, no problem. Cause I liked making it. So deal with it. it like it, it, it's, it's such a breath of fresh air from something so, from so long ago. <laughs> that it, <laughs> like it just, it, it's, it's really remarkable because you're right. You're, you're watching this stuff happening going, that's ridiculous. Are you kidding? Like, wh- why did they, they couldn't do another take, really? But, they probably like, couldn't. <laughs> and th- and that's the thing. They probably couldn't. And they knew that. And it still worked out. To, and again, to be one of something that people are still copying to this day. Yes, it's hokey, but God damn, does it work? Exactly. It's like, and I don't want to sell Sam Raimi, who I don't think we, I mean, we've mentioned his name so far, the director, Sam Raimi, I don't want to sell him short in terms of he is still doing those like Spielbergian things of like trying to like hide the uh, hide the shark. The first person camera shots that are like a Sam Raimi like mainstay at this point of the idea of like looking through the POV of this entity of evil as it moves through the woods, as it runs through yeah. like, those, like forest towards people like. We don't know if that entity is bodiless, if you can see it. People respond to it on occasion. We don't have no idea if it's visual in any way because we're always looking through its POV. It is such a creative way to get around the fact that you definitely don't have the budget to do some sort of big monster. Um, and, 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 you know, uh, just to speak to that example, um, you know, if, if you're familiar with the TV show South Park, they do something very similar in, a, in an episode where they're talking about global warming where, where you just see the town folk running. They're going, oh, it's global warming. It's after us. They're running to the left. And they go, oh, no, it's coming back this way. And now they're running the other way. 
and it's the exact same. You can put it right next to Evil Dead, shot for shot, that kind of camera shaking, chasing after somebody. <laughs> it is perfect. And, and all I can think is, well, where do you think they got that idea from? It's 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 remarkable how well it works. And again, this is somebody who just he's doing this with his own money, his own you know trying to solicit any budget he can, and it worked. It's it's unbelievable, and I much respect to him and, and what he was able to kind of put together, um, knowing his limitations, but really making the most of it. Oh, definitely. And um, so Jonathan is like, uh, has been on this podcast before and is like, he was talking about the, the reanimator one of the times that we were on here. Have you ever seen the reanimator? I don't believe I have. Uh, and, and that's an episode I'm going to have to check out now too. Well, it's like an HP Lovecraft um, oh, like, uh, okay. short film. Oh, um, interesting. Like, yeah. So like the, so the HP Lovecraft like short story is like really like true horror and it's intense. It's basically like Frankenstein, but set in like the US. Um but the movie is just like this like tongue in cheek, goofy, kind of like highly influenced by Evil Dead sort of like schlock fest. And uh, and it was fun to talk with him about it because it is very much like while I'm a person that gravitates towards like, yeah, like the Sam Raimi camera movements and like there's like showing is like the, the like the talent is like the showing by not showing sort of aspect of horror stuff. Jonathan just loves the like the, the blood and the gore and all that sort of stuff that comes out of it. And it was like, and you know what? This movie, admittedly, even more than the reanimator, kind of made me feel that. Like I was like, there's mm. portions, especially in the final, when like it goes stop motion, and then these like <laughs> these demon arms burst out of the back of their chest, stuff like that. I'm like, like that looks stupid, but I just love that you did it. Like I love that you're in the middle of a Tennessee woods with yep. like a crew at that point, probably of around six people, and you somehow manage to make that and make it look at least like a thing that exists it's like and it's so like handmade it's so it's like it's diy it's like it's it's uh yeah it's it's goofy but it's it's like but it's it's fantastic and i would say that it's while it's all those things it's not like the end of this movie is not really scary there are other no, parts of the no. movie that are scary i think near the beginning but the yeah. the not by the end it's not really scary anymore. <laughs> but you know what's interesting is, is you think about it, we're, we're able to kind of look at it and compare and kind of contrast to what we see today. When this first came out, it, it's not like that was uh, you know already being regarded as overly hokey or, or fake or anything. It probably held up pretty well at the time. Mm-hmm. It's just more the, the kind of compare and contrast that we're in right now, you know, 40, 40 years later. Like even to your point, like if you watch, um, you know, uh, Beetlejuice, or or mm. uh, I almost said his name three times. That could have been bad. Oh, that uh, would have been real bad. Yeah, you don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll edit that part out, making sure. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, if well, you well, edit well, out the Beetlejuices, do, does that mean that he know. doesn't show up? <laughs> That's a good point. I don't know who to ask. Can we get the devil back over here? Maybe he'll know. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe he'll figure it out. I, I'm sure we'll be hearing from him again. <laughs> but I, I, it's funny though because you can watch Beetlejuice, you can watch, um, you know, e- even even Ghostbusters. Really, you can still watch those movies today. And yeah, they look hokey. Yeah, they look gimmicky. But when they first came out, they probably didn't seem that far fetched or that. Um, you know, obviously fake. Not like some of the CGI that we have today, where you're like. Really, Deep Blue Sea 3? Really? That's what you're going to go for? There so... are three Deep Blue Sea movies? Oh, Tyler, we have much to talk about. Oh. This is 
Oh, there, there's there's some of the some no. of the. <laughs> well, they just keep. Oh my gosh! All right. Well, we'll talk about the idea of why. Why did you make this? Uh, probably later on is where I've got notes for for days on that. Well, I think that's a really interesting point. Is like is and something that actually relates very much to Evil Dead and for a lot of actually early horror like genre people, even in the modern era, like Ari Aster and like and the like, where as like a lot of them are not necessarily like they didn't start out wanting to do horror movies like that wasn't necessarily the thing they wanted to do like Sam Raimi didn't come into becoming a filmmaker like in love with horror movies he loved the three stooges like that's his bread and butter that's what he loves but the recognition is that you can actually you get pretty low budget and say horror movies made and so because of that is like you can actually get a pretty good investment is like return on investment for your first film which means that they'll be willing to back you on the next thing you want and so many directors do this as a strategy and then kind of get stuck making horror movies forever because that's the thing. That's the thing that you are. That's the thing that you are going to be doing for forever. Um, the reason why there's a Paranormal Activity 4 is because the Paranormal, Paranormal Activity 1 made like a ridiculous amount of money off of almost no budget. And they, they keep on thinking, yep, we can do this. We can just keep on pu- pumping out really low budget things that will still make their money back. Yeah, um, you, you say that and then there's Jaws 3D. Riddle me this, Tyler. Riddle me this. Why did that happen? Why? Why? What did we? What did we do to deserve Jaws 3D? And then they said that's not enough. We need a revenge tour for this guy. Like at some point, someone's gonna have to pull the cord on this and go. Yeah, money's nice, but we have a. <laughs> we, we we like Jaws should have just ended at Jaws. Jaws yeah. should have just been. This is a great movie. This is going to. This is kind of like the one. One of the the monster movies that every other monster movie will kind of have to live up to. It's, it's, it's going to reset the bar. Yep. Evil dead kind of did that. Evil dead two did a good job kind of continuing that story. And then, yeah, things kind of take a army of darkness turn and, and that's fine. Now that, listen okay. here. Yes. <laughs> it's, 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 it's time. It's time for me to stand up here on my soapbox with my little like tin shield and try desperately to defend Army of Darkness. It's like, this segment is called, Why is Tyler Wrong? <laughs> you haven't seen it! You don't know that I'm wrong! <laughs> I will stand up here in my soapbox, and this is what I will say. Yes, it is hokey. But it is hokey with, like, a budget. It is strangely, deliberately hokey. It is that form of hokey that you get from the likes of, yes, Monty Python, but also others, like other such things as kind of like... I don't know. It's like Twister, or it's like, yeah. or it's like yeah. stuff like that, where it's just like they were going for an aesthetic and they hit it. There's so much weird stop motion. In this there's so much ridiculous nonsense. Admittedly, I feel like the best part of the movie is still the small portion where Ash is stuck in a cabin randomly in the middle and then gets tortured by these uh, like tiny little versions of himself. Like that is probably the best part of the movie for me, which is very much similar to The Evil Dead. I do mm-hmm. recognize that there is a drop in quality. But at the same time, I just love the swing. Like, you're a sports guy. Don't you just <laughs> love the swing? <laughs> Where someone just goes all in and, like, they took the biggest swing in the world. They dislocated both their shoulders. They sent the bat flying. It somehow snapped in half. It didn't hit the ball. But, man, did they put it all into it. <laughs> and, and you know what? I'm okay with that. I respect that. Because sometimes you swing for the fences and, uh, you know, it ends up being a, a pop fly. And that's all right. 
and that that's, I'm okay with that. It's the times where where you're swinging for the the fences and you're you're realizing you're you're already winning this game twelve nothing. What what are you doing? And then somehow that leads to a comeback for the other team, and that's where I have a problem. That oh. and Army of Darkness doesn't do that, and that's okay. It because really Evil Dead as a franchise doesn't do that. But something like Paranormal uh, Paranormal Activity, something mm-hmm. like Jaws. Something like, uh, what's another good example of things that should have never happened more than once? Um, Deep Blue Sea 3. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. You know, that's a problem. Something like um, uh, uh, Final Destination. I'm okay. They can make 15 of those. I'm doing all right because they're never going to get any better or worse than the first one. <laughs> they are a flat line. <laughs> that, and I'm okay with that. If that's see, your approach, you own that. But if you made something great, why would you disparage it? Why? See, I, I think this is an interesting is an interesting look into it, like a psychology of that is this aspect because I know that it's like my wife Lauren used to be very much of the opinion that like if it was out there, you had to consume it. Like if she loved yeah. something and there was yeah. more of it out there, then you had to go and you had to get it. And then we had these examples several in a row where we would watch something where like this is amazing, and then someone would say you shouldn't watch the second season or maybe let the sequels go or something like that. And she'd be like, no, I'm going to watch it all. And she would watch it and it would dilute the enjoyment of the first one. I do understand avoiding army of darkness because you're worried that it might like sully the first two. But for me, I feel like army of darkness is the natural trajectory that we're on here. If you go, if you track like on a line here between evil dead, evil dead Two, and army of darkness, I think you can draw a straight line in terms of increase, increasing goofiness yeah it's like that goes kind of through it's like and um also i feel like it's kind of like the natural like um transition for our lead character ash which we haven't talked about too much we have not in in all due respect to ash you are correct yeah and so i think that's why we might actually have to dig back into this strangely sticky box of cassette tapes and actually listen to one more okay Would you just... There we go. Hello, Teddy. My question for you is the same as I once proposed to another member of the Arts Union Science Podcast. Why do you like the Evil Dead movies? I think it's just the sheer tenacity of it. You know, the vision to create like a lore and a set of imagery that was so original and inventive that it became iconic and it developed its own universe of tropes that are still used today. Everything from, you know, the the kind of capsule setting of a cabin in the woods to, you know, uh, demons and, you know, putting power tools on your limbs, although that's, you know, not necessarily, that, that, that comes later. And not to mention also the practical effects and sound work that were truly just audacious and infectious. And and it features one of the best final girls of all time with Ash, who is up there with Laurie, Laurie Strode and Ripley in terms of creating a mythos that builds worlds all on its own. So generally, I just feel like it's, you know, a really important film in terms of everything that kind of emulated it and came after it um, on both from a low budget standpoint and just um, horror comedy cult like cult out of the box type movies it's uh, it's essential 
Oh, right. Well, it turns out that like, Satan is able to trans like to find his way anywhere, including the far side of Canada to talk to our <laughs> previous co-author, Jenny. Um, because indeed, it's like, uh, as Jenny put forward, Ash is one of the best final girls that we have it's like <laughs> out there. Um, I described him in the plot summary as, oh, what was the exact like, wording that I so wittily is like put forward? Yeah, it's can, like can, over... we get, can we get playback yeah, over yeah, here? Can, yeah, Felicity, can we, can we roll it back? <laughs> a thick chin beta with a heart of gold and a penchant for gifting pretty but plastic necklaces painted silver. Mm. Yeah, that was that was pretty much what I said. <laughs> um, and so what I, but the funny thing about Ash is that like he is like I think he's like two ca- other characters. Like he is like an amalgam in my head of two other characters, not in terms of personality, not at all, but in terms of like how he fits into this franchise. One of them, Jenny actually mentioned in her tape, which was uh, Ripley from Alien, mm. and another one, strangely enough, is Ethan Hunt from the Mission Impossible movies. Yeah, you know what? Either either really do work because it's sometimes you have a franchise where you you're almost hoping that one of those characters gets gets killed off. You, you know what I mean? They're, they're so they're so loathed that you're just kind of waiting for the moment. And, yeah. and then you have other franchise characters that are are just kind of so unmemorable and faceless where you're like, "Oh, they died?" Oh yeah, I guess they do. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. To, to me, Ash is kind of right in the middle of that, where I don't, I don't think you can make this the franchise without him, yeah. and yet he's not really that significant of a character because he's not driven by plot. He's not mm-hmm. driven by his. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, just picturing the one scene from Evil Dead Two where he's blowing off the shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, he's like groovy and then it blows yeah. up a shotgun and it clearly it's it, it, it sounds like a um, like blowing into a beer bottle like an empty beer yeah. bottle just yep. amazing but but anyway he, he he's not that unmemorable or that memorable that he makes or breaks the actual franchise but i really could not envision a scenario where he's not the focal point yeah it's it's interesting because like he does so, so I let's go first with the the Ripley comparison. Yeah. And the reason yeah. why I want to go with that one first is because I feel like is it the Evil Dead is an example of very similar to Alien in one really important way in that at the beginning if you had no idea what this franchise was about and who was it you would have a hard time figuring out who the main character is without question. Yeah. yeah like who is going to be the character that survives? Who are we following here? Yeah. Because like yeah, you know, you got it's like you got Ash. He's like who is like one of the. It's like he's like one of five. He's not the first person to experience something creepy. It's like that one would be his sister. Correct. He's not the person who's driving the car. The person who's driving the plot forward by exploring things. It's like by taking action and stuff like that. That's Scott. Is like it, okay. Let's be honest. It was the 1980s. We knew it wasn't going to be one of the two girlfriends. That was the main <laughs> like main character. It's like but then it's like Ash was just kind of like this little like bumbling awkward like nerdy but like not really nerdy kind of like just like a like a strange like secondary like he's a like the quintessential beta male sort of thing yeah and um you know they every they take every opportunity they take the piss out of it's like avash he has a hard time reading a map yep um he when they're unloading the bags he gets the bags like thrown right into his like junk and like almost falls over yep he is uh he just cannot believe that this bridge would break it's been here forever and like just as he's saying that like what car it starts to break yeah and shelves are his worst enemy 
he gets thrown like he spends the vast majority of this movie stuck under a shelf desperately trying to get out that is such a good point yeah two different shelves steven two different shelves two different times oh that is yeah that's so like none of that is screaming this is your main character this is the guy is it but like ripley as the movie progresses and as he starts to take a more active role as he starts to be the one to listen to the tapes to make to make um like uh, suggestions that actually start sounding more and more legitimate to actually have the melodrama and the more like pathos infused moments of not being able to take action it starts to become very clear like oh this guy is our lead character and it's something that I just I'm I'm deprived of in the modern era, but I think that would be really cool to kind of experience, and for that experience to like like give us this character of Ash, who then goes on to be something very different in the next movie. Well, well, I mean, could you imagine? I mean, if you if you look at the debate of uh, you know who who is the best James Bond or who was the best or who's the best you know Batman or what have you, um, it, it, there's always that you're always going to have conflicting opinions. You're always going to have every reason why someone believes that they are correct and, and, and nobody else could possibly be right. And that's fine. I don't think you can put, you know, if, if evil dead had five movies in the franchise I, and each one was a different ash, I don't think it works out. I think he's perfectly there, but not overtaking the actual moment he's memorable he carries the storyline around but if he were to disappear yeah it's it's no it's not it's not heartbreak for anybody but but you're right he's he he makes it work he he really he genuinely does yeah i think the reason why like there's a lack of heartbreak or even i would say a lack of concern for ash as the series progresses like maybe not in the first movie but definitely in the second and almost certainly in the third is that like a He's becoming more of an asshole with every passing film. <laughs> yep. In the first one, he's this sweet little man is like who's in love with his girlfriend and is just out there for a good time. This is like the second one, he's like transforming into this kind of like badass action hero who's still getting the, the snot kicked out of him like every two seconds, but at the same time is like becoming more broken. And then in the third one, he's just a straight up asshole. Like in Army of Darkness, he is actually just like a macho bravado like jock. Is a who makes all these decisions that are bad decisions and then get pissed off at people for pointing out that they were bad decisions. And it's like that transition of Ash from like a nice person into something else that I think when you look at the movies, it almost looks like they're not the same character, but you can track it as like a progression of this person. And that's the reason why he reminds me a little bit of Ethan Hunt from Mission Impossible movies, because mm-hmm. If you look at those movies like just like together, like it looks like just a scatter plot. Like yeah. Ethan Hunt's character is just different in every movie. But with the Christopher McQuarrie movies, there's really been this kind of focusing of his character into this idea of like a person who has lost everything that most humans would value, and therefore all he has left is this. And not just this as in like an obsessive thing of doing the job because for the job's sake, but like a recognition that if he doesn't do this, he feels like people are gonna get hurt. And so everything else gets thrown out the window for this. And that through line they've created at the end draws a nice line through the scatter plot that actually kind of tracks. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. And it's same with Ash, that I think actually the television show, Ash versus Evil Dead, provides <laughs> yeah. strangely a that same thing. In the end, we are presented with this version of Ash that, yeah, he had a life going forward and it was kind of taken from him. It's like, and what we've end up having in like the like it was taken from him was like by these evil things and then his life just kind of like stalled and he just stayed the same person 
for forever, not trying too hard, trying to lay low, not really hoping for anything, because there's always this thought in the back of his head that maybe it's all going to turn out like it did before. Um, I don't think any of that was necessarily planned. I believe that Sam Raimi <laughs> really was just more interested in be turning his movies more and more into Three Stooges comedies than horror movies. And he was kind of trying to pull the, a fast one on the studios by like, sh- like ripping, like pulling it over real slowly, kind of like a, a frog being placed in like water that is slowly increased to a boil is that by the time the studio realized they were actually making a comedy, it was too late. <laughs> That, that's that's very well said, and I think you you almost kind of feel that even just watching the first movie, just from minute one to minute you know a hundred whatever it is thirty whatever. <laughs> I don't know why I started saying to the minute as if I had that information off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, I was I was sitting there going, "Wow, Stephen really did his homework here. He's like yeah. broken down this by minute." <laughs> <laughs> but you you genuinely do kind of get the sense that they either ran out of budget, ran out of time. Or, or, or we're at a point where they're just kind of ad-libbing their way through, where it, but in a, in a kind of way that worked because it began as horror and then starts transitioning away from that. And it was like, okay, now that we're actually having these kind of fighting scenes and we don't have the budget to make these look legitimate, let's just lean into the fact that we know our limitations. Number two happens and you basically start the exact same way. And you're right. It's like this natural progression where I think they kind of just realize, yeah, you know what? This actually does work. We can we can lean into this being gimmicky. We can lean into this being fun. We don't have to take it too seriously, but we can have a good time making it. And, and, and it, at the end of it, what you're left with is something that is the perfect blend of horror and comedy that doesn't take itself too seriously, but also does work as both genres. Mm-hmm. See, that's a that, so that's an interesting thing. That's like, and I because I think we've talked about it a couple times the comedy horror mixture. Yes, but I'm really interested in determining that blend because I feel like the blend that exists in Evil Dead is very different than the blend that exists in Evil Dead Two. Um, because Evil Dead, I feel to me, isn't so much blended as it is kind of like it's a um, what they call a heterogeneous mixture meaning that you have many things together that are mixed together, but you can identify one versus the other. It's like, oh, this scene is a horror scene. Yeah. This scene yeah. is a comedy scene. This scene is a horror scene. And you can kind of like, as I like go through with that, that kind of worked pretty well for me um, because underneath all of that, whether it's a horror scene or a comedy scene, is this underlying like feeling of schlock where yeah. like, yeah. it's like, where it's just kind of like that kind of ties everything together. The kind of do it yourself, like low budget aspect of it. That is the, the guiding tone and principle of it. Even as the, we're going back and forth between shrieks and giggles. Um, Evil Dead 2 is very different because for me, I feel like there are no purely horror scenes in no. Evil Dead 2. And likewise, there's almost no pure comedy scenes. Everything is a mix of the two. There's like, it is like a, perfect blend a perfect synthesis of these two things and at the beginning of evil dead 2 i took i had a hard time getting into it because first of all my my favorite part of horror movies is generally the first 20 minutes because i love the build and there is no build in evil dead 2 like you're literally just right into it you're right you're right going there it's like you never left the theater it just keeps going like it well in your in your case i suppose you didn't you just you just kept on going once and next and next i kind of of shifted to the right a little bit but that was about it (laughs) but it's like so that was one thing that gave me a hard time is because there was no buildup. And then the second thing that gave me a hard time is because I was really struggling to figure out what this tone was. 
And it wasn't until I remember the exact scene and the exact moment. It's when he is just his he's cut off the head of his is like his beloved. Sounds yep. like a tragedy, but it was actually pretty funny. It was, like, yeah. She is like her head then bites him on the hand, and yep. he's trying to get her off. So he runs to the shed, puts her head in a vice, and is going to cut up her head with a chainsaw. He pulls back the curtain to where the chainsaw was in the last movie. So we know what we're expecting to see. Very and instead of that, yeah. is a chalk outline yes, of where exactly. the where the chainsaw should be. And just as I was about to like, like I had that moment of like caught breath, like what? And then just at that exact moment, the headless corpse of his, like his girlfriend comes in through the door with the chainsaw. And yes. I just started laughing like really loud. And I'm like, okay, I, I get it now. I'm on board. And the rest of it was just great. <laughs> and it is perfect. That is such a good example to let you know from, yeah, five minutes into the movie, really what you're in for. And yep. I, I love that because it doesn't pretend to be something it is not. There is nothing worse. And Tyler, let me tell you, I've seen a lot of horror movies. There yep. is nothing worse than when a horror movie just sprinkles in these, these random out of place jokes that have no context, no reason, doesn't add to the plot, is literally just there for comic relief that nobody asked for. I don't know why they do it, and they do it every time. Even The Conjuring has an example, and I don't know why, but <laughs> when they're talking about the black light, and he goes, groovy, and you kind of mm. just stop for a minute and go, why did you have to say that? I, I, is that it just, a Evil Dead reference? Well, and that's the thing. If it was, hey, well, well done. But if it's literally just to remind you that this is taking place in the 70s, we didn't need that. We're okay without it. Or like in Paranormal Activity 4, she's running back to the house, she almost gets hit by a car, and she goes, fucking prius did we do we really need that moment like, like it's just it's these these there's nothing worse than a movie trying to pretend like it's it, you know trying to be something it's not and evil dead does not do that it knows what it is and it owns it and i love mm -hmm. it i love it yeah yeah that's that's really interesting because i feel like so a lot of horror movies, you know, they try to release tension slowly or like in sudden bursts. So like you'll oftentimes get the jump scare, right? Like a yep. really good example of like an obvious way to release tension because everyone jumps and then there's that immediate kind of like, I don't know, like sigh or kind of giggle that comes afterwards. We're like, oh, that happened. And it's because of the release of tension that comes from it. Another way to do it is with like jokes. Like you basically try to let the air out of the room a little bit by, by making a, a joke. It's a very hard thing to do in a horror movie. It's not particularly is like well done by most directors um a few is like i can only think of one movie i've ever seen where it seemed like the director made absolutely no attempt to release tension throughout the entirety of the movie and that would have been hereditary where oh, yeah, like yeah. i just like is like there was no jump scares every nope. scare that was coming for you was in the frame already and the scare was the fact that the character did not see it Correct. and is like there was no levity, no humor. And so you like I would by the like the beginning of the third act, I'm like, I haven't taken a full breath in like an hour and a half. Yeah. I was like, I, I think I might perish. I think I might just die right here if this can if they continue to ramp up this tension. And I survived, but it was difficult. I had to try real hard, and you're all welcome for me trying so hard so I could be here and give you my thoughts on it. But then you you think about it. Those bad jokes, I wonder sometimes if they're just the director or the studio giving the director a note 
like you should release tension here a little bit because well, it's going to be unpleasant for the uh, for the audience. Well, could could you imagine in Hereditary, they're driving down the uh, the drive down the street, flying down there because of the uh, the peanut allergy. Her head comes off. Turn around and look at her, and she goes, "That's going to leave a mark." Like <laughs> that's not gonna that's not gonna benefit anybody. We don't need that. Thankfully, they don't, mind you. But it's that it's that kind of thing where you're kind of just sometimes they throw that into a movie and you just go, we, we didn't need it. We were doing just fine without it. And yet here we are. Let's just move on past it. But you're right. It, it, it's sometimes you have to kind of allow the, the audience to, to, to breathe a little bit, catch their breath. If they've been on edge the whole time, hereditary does a great job of, of you're right. You, you there's really nothing yep. there's nothing scary other than the fact that you see something that the character is not even interacting with yeah when, when the mom is kind of like pressed up in the corner of the bedroom there and, yeah. and, and like it's that horrifying shot oh, i of, just got uh, i just got a, sh- a chill yeah, right down my exactly <laughs> it's horrifying but it works because it's just kind of it, it, it doesn't have to say much more than it is i'm okay with that let that happen but when you've got those kind of like the, those zingers and punchlines where you're like, we really, really, okay. Can we go back to the horror now? Like it just, <laughs> but, but horror, horror movies are notorious for it. I talk about it all the time on my blog. You, you can watch any Netflix movie. You're going to find for every one good one, 25 bad ones. Yep. But and, he's and, like, but while, while most people would find that to be bad odds and not great, you seem to actively seek out these things. <laughs> Tyler, I, I do it for the people. I, I do what I can to make sure that if I if I could help one poor soul by saying, "Hey, don't watch this," or, you know, check on the blog instead and make the decision, and, and you kind of read the, read the post and go, "Oof, that one's not for me." Sorry, you had to endure that. That is what I'm here for. I'm a man of the people. I, you know, thank you. The praise praise and money is all I need, and that's that's fine. Thank you, everyone. But it's. <laughs> well, I'll make I'll make sure to send both your way real soon. <laughs> uh, if if you knew if if you knew how how, how much money I've lost just by watching these movies. <laughs> no, it, it's something where genuinely the horror movie uh, that the the community is plagued. Oh, I did it again by these terrible movies that really just occupy so much so much space on on your netflix account or your uh disney plus are there horror movies on disney plus there hmm. are because they now have um fox's whole library as well so all the alien and predator movies are on disney plus and oh. inclu- including the most recent movie prey the the oh. prequel for predator that just came out well I, i'm not gonna subscribe to disney plus but i will stream that for free uh you, but... <laughs> you should you should definitely watch prey prey is very good i must say <laughs> that's awesome i will check that out for sure it's something where but like you you open up any you know list of horror movies and it's bad 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 and then you get something like evil dead and you, you're kind of reminded that there is good in the world of horror there, there are there are things that genuinely remind you that this is you know something that you can watch it's something you can watch more than once it's something where you watch and kind of notice things you didn't maybe uh, realize the first time around or or jokes that get funnier because you're expecting them like the chainsaw (laughs) placement that is amazing or 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 ashes uh (laughs) struggles with the the shelves yeah that's something where you got to go back and rewatch and go that is incredible thank you i'm gonna watch it again 
Or just like the fifth plate that that hand smashes over his head at in Evil Dead 2 when it goes bad. It starts like just not smashing plates over his head. Like the fifth it's time so it happens, it's just funny. like, oh my god. <laughs> like and, this and, poor man. And then starts pulling the body toward the knife and he goes, <laughs> gotcha. Or like whatever he says. It's just like, yep. it's, it's so ridiculous. But I'm okay with it. That type of horror, I, I will give that a thumbs up every time in the in this genre. Because there's a lot of bad, but when there's good, it's good. And I'm, I'm okay with that. All right, so I think we, is it, we're almost at the Baker's Elemental Minimization model where we're going to be looking at our favorite scenes. But before we get to that, I feel like we, we, would, we, we, set, the, we set the beehive a buzzin' very early on when we talked about how you prefer the remake to the original Evil Dead. Yeah, that's right. Like, and we've kind of talked a little bit about why. But I think we should dedicate a little bit of time to the Evil Dead remake because I must say it actually is pretty damn good. Like as much as I do, I think I prefer the the original more for like more because I spent a long time like loving Sam Raimi and his like shooting style. And I love the, like the camera aspects of it. And I love the where it fits into the history, like mostly for the meta portions of it. It's like the remake is very good like and i was uh i was pleased i was pleased that it actually did what is like what are your um your favorite things about that movie yeah i i think for me it it does not shy away it really does um kind of bring back some of those really important significant moments from the, the from the first one they just eliminate the comedy and really mm-hmm. lean into the horror yep so for me, like the scene that you're talking about where he's, where he's in the kitchen kind of bashing himself over the head with the plates, they, they kind of have the exact same scene, but instead of that, it, it's her fighting with her hand and then taking the uh, the, the uh, turkey carver. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I only know it from, from Turkey for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, but she takes that. <laughs> and, and like, it's the same thing because in, in the second one, the chainsaw is sitting in the exact same location. Mm-hmm. But now it's the the meat cutter, and now she's going to pick that up instead of a chainsaw, and instead of a, the knife, it you know she's cutting off the the arm because she's been infected, and it's not gimmicky, it's not hokey, it, it's gore, it's violent, it's it's horror because you're kind of feeling the, you know, you're like oh my god, she she knows she's about to be overtaken by by the possession. This is she has to do it. She has no choice. It's 127 hours. She's got, this is the only outcome to be able to get out of here. And you're kind of, you kind of want to look away, but the entire movie has that feel to it. There's so much of this movie that you just don't want to watch because it's not, it's not funny. It's scary. It, It is. It takes everything that is horror about the first one and just kind of modernizes it. I love that. Like, if we kind of you know break it down from the beginning of the movie, like from a from a plot summary perspective, you've still got that generic group of people. You've still got the generic group of friends who you you expect in any horror movie, and you find yourself kind of playing the "oh, I bet they die first kind of game with them. And you know, you kind of feel like that's maybe a requirement for horror movies, where uh, yes, it adds to the intrigue without really compromising on a lack of plot. Uh, with most most movies they kind of lean on the the tropes the hokiness and and evil dead the the remake does still kind of do that and yet it is 100% taking everything that is good everything that is scary about the the original and just kind of turning that up to 11 
So like the the scene where she's being attacked by the by the the tree, the the bushes in the, in the the forest where it's kind of attacking her. Um, I'm not going to get into the details of how they kind of manage that in the remake, uh, but they do make it scarier. They do make it much more of something that you kind of go, oh my God, I don't want to watch this. I, I kind of know what's going to happen. I just, you know, you, you don't want to look, but you can't look away. Um, and, and it's quite frankly better than the original. Um, or I guess that's kind of a weird comment to say. Uh, hmm. I think I, I think I know what you're meaning because <laughs> like the, so the original like 1980s like horror movies, like the reanimator is exactly the same. Like a lot of these like horror movies really like to lean into like the exploitation aspect of films, which means like oftentimes there's a lot of like sexual violence being perpetrated. It's like, um, and it's like, it's annoying to watch and it's like with a modern lens for it's like it's like because oftentimes like it's more played more for titillation than it is for anything else and that's just kind of like fucked up yeah um the it's like the original evil dead i would say like while that scene is kind of played for that and in some ways is more disturbing so like i i wouldn't give it a pass but i would say this is my least favorite part of the movie i wish it wasn't in it but it doesn't ruin the movie for me unlike the reanimator where there was a scene in that that actually did ruin that movie for me um in the new evil dead yeah like they there is no titillation that at all it is just straight up horror it is terrifying it's not it's like it is shot in a way that is like everything is gross and disgusting and i don't want this to happen why is this happening oh my god um so like doesn't even like register as being part of the same kind of like unfortunate trend in horror movies it is very much what i think the original was setting out to do is trying to set the stakes um and yeah I was just going to say the, the the thing that I love about it is that if you put the movies side by side and if you watch them, you know, and you're, you're looking for the similarity, it, they, they really honestly do take every moment scene for scene and just kind of re reimagine it, but they eliminate the, the funny. They just lean into the horror, but it's the same movie. You still have all of the, uh, the you know, I've got the, the basement with the trap door and everything that kind of goes on down there you've got the you know how he kind of emotionally struggles with how to you know should i should i attack my own girlfriend should i really be doing that like you know she's clearly possessed but is this really what it's come to uh, everything with the chainsaw very much very relevant the cabin itself almost looks it's probably the exact same layout quite frankly it, it's it is evil dead it's just evil dead uh without without the comedy which for some people they love that and that if you're a horror fan watch evil dead the the remake version and if you're more of that kind of uh, you know comedy horror don't please don't yeah. watch the remake that is not for you <laughs> yeah if you're actually, more comedy horror and you want to see a modern version of comedy horror in the cabin watch the movie cabin in the woods instead <laughs> well let, let's watch the first one don't watch anything beyond that please we, do, we don't need that there are That's, more cabin in the woods movies oh my god okay tyler we are gonna watch deep lucy three and we're gonna watch all i think it's five cabin in the woods yeah we're, oh we're gonna be god. oh i'm sorry wait you said i'm thinking cabin fever I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I'm like, I, I am I'm sorry. Like, sorry. Cabin Fever is the one that has more than it should. Cabin in the Woods is a fantastic movie. That is probably my top five all, like all-time horror movies. Yeah, um, it's like, and, and it is very much like a modern... It's obviously paying homage to Evil Dead but it's like yeah. in many ways. And it is also providing that kind of like comedy aspect to it. It is... Oh, 100%. Yeah. It, it, it knows what it is. It, it kind of walks at that line between comedy and horror in a very 
you know, in a way where even the mermaid at the end, where he, or the merman, he's like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that that is scene awesome. is incredible, but that thing is creepy, and I would not want that anywhere near me. That yeah. That's a great movie. It does a very, very good job of knowing what it is, and I love it. Cabin Fever, <laughs> stay away from. First one, okay. Number four, not so okay. That's one that I, uh, yeah, like we were talking about before, just quit while you're ahead. You've done one, stop it. Um, stop it, just stop <laughs> But you're right. If you want that kind of comedy horror blend, Cabin in the Woods, perfect. If you want true horror, watch The Conjuring. Yeah, that's fair. All right, so I think this is a good time for us to transition into the second to last portion of the results, which is the Baker's Elemental Minimization Model. So it's been a long time since this showed up on the podcast. Um, but it basically pays homage to David Baker, the great in silico protein structure dude of the 21st century. And uh, this model is shaped like an inverted triangle. One starts by looking at a much larger story element before focusing in on a particular scene that showcases that element. And then finally, an exceptionally finite moment of interest within said scene. Um, so would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? Um, yeah, I feel like I've been doing a lot of talking on your podcast, which is... <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, if you've read any of my work and, and it kind of rambles on for much longer than it needs to, this is why. This is why that happens. Um, so please, Tyler, why, why don't you talk? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Okay. It's like, it's like, all right. Well, I'm going to go with something a little bit different than what we've been talking about because I mentioned the schlock and I mentioned the screams. But the thing I did not mention is the sentiment. And that's because... These movies are very tongue-in-cheek, as we said. There isn't a whole lot of legitimate sentiment in it that isn't straight-up melodrama or played for laughs. But there is one scene in the first Evil Dead that actually is a, a scene that is mostly pay, uh, played straight in an attempt to try and make you care something about these characters. And this is the necklace scene between um, Ash and his girlfriend, Linda? Linda? <laughs> Gonna go with Linda. <laughs> it's where... <laughs> Um, basically he's like, he knows that she's coming back from checking on her friend. He bought her this necklace. He wants to give her the necklace, but instead of just giving it to her, he pretends to be asleep with the neck with necklace in a box on his leg and is waiting for her to like take it so that, and look at it so he can catch her is like doing it. But they play this like kind of cat and mouse game where she's looking and he's got his eyes closed. And as she looks away, he opens his eyes to look and they kind of go back and forth before he, she finally catches him. It's such an interesting scene because it's played like a horror movie scene. Like the, the strings are doing really weird things. It's not like a love ballad. It's more some like a very strange like song that's playing in the background. Yeah, but it, it's still sweet at the same time. It's still sweet like, at Aw. the same time. Yeah. Like, this is nice. And they're like, and they have like really close ups of their eyes, which is also yeah. a very like horror movie thing of yeah. like watching the people's eyes go around. And it's it works so well because they actually like mirror the scene back later on after she's become possessed and he's the, like, yeah the foreshadowing her. on that is incredible because you're right when you're watching that scene happen you're kind of like oh that's nice and then yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll let you I'll let you explain when it comes up later and it's basically shot for shot of what happened before but in a very different context well exactly like he's he thinks he's killed her and then he was gonna cut her up with a chainsaw but then can't do it so he's just gonna bury her instead and as he's like going back and forth with the shovel like she opens her eyes and then he looks and she closes her eyes and they're doing a reverse of the game but now it's horrifying and before it was cute and i just thought that was so freaking clever 
It's such a cool way to do it. And so it's like, that is like, if my overall story element is kind of like sentiment and how it's used sparingly, but with a few moments that it's used, I feel it's used really well. And the scene is kind of that first one that is like with the eyes, like eyes looking back and forth. The specific moment that I think that really made me actually care about Ash as a person is after they play the back and forth eyebrow as an eyeball thing for a while and then she catches them and she goes aha i caught you and he's like aha and then there's this moment this pause and then he just kind of sheepishly hands her the necklace with like a little bit of like just a little bit like (laughs) here like like almost like kind of like like kind of his head kind of goes into his shoulders a little bit as he's handing it over with this little bit of like nervous energy of giving his girlfriend a gift and it's so cute and it makes it so sad that what happens to him and what he becomes as he goes through because he did start off as this pretty nice guy. Um, and so I was like, that's what I'm going to choose for this is like, it is sacrilege to go like to come into the evil dead franchise to effectively have the whole franchise to choose from of what scene you want to highlight mm-hmm. to like, to just march past all the amazing Sam Raimi camera, like smashing through the cabin to like to attack Ash from behind to walk past all the ridiculous effects and the blood and gore and the stop motion to walk pointedly past all that stay with my eyes straight ahead at like a somewhat awkward kind of goofy love scene um but really like it stood out to me because it was the only one in the franchise and i think it did really well and i kind of kind of a little bit wish that there was more of that in this in this series yeah i i love that and 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 to me like you know the first time i feel like i saw that that moment i'm kind of like oh no is this going to be one of those you know overplayed kind of romanticized horror movies where you're like it's going to end up being linda and ash in the end and it's going to end up being like a titanic kind of you know uh whatever she says to dicaprio i don't even i've never seen titanic bear with me we have never seen titanic oh okay this is what we're gonna do you're gonna show me you're gonna show me cabin fever four and i'll show you titanic actually you can show me all the cabin fevers because we can probably watch all of them the same amount of time it'll take to watch titanic i I have i have seen titanic 666 that one's a little bit different but it does reference the the actual titanic movie so i mean it's gotta be something there right (laughs) definitely definitely yeah (laughs) but but like you know that that scene kind of has that there's a kind of moment of like oh no it's gonna be like i can already predict what the ending of this horror movie is gonna be it's gonna be these last two standing they're gonna be you know fighting till the end like that kind of a thing and then oh boy does it not end that way at all when he's (laughs) yeah debating whether or not he should cut her into pieces or just bury her as is yeah it's a little bit different than what you thought with the foreshadowing there but I love that scene because, yeah, it, it's it's um, <laughs> the way they do it twice and with two completely different circumstances. Amazing. Just yep. perfection. 100%. For um, me, if, if okay. I may. You may. I, I, I insist, in fact. <laughs> For me, the, the scene that is kind of this is Evil Dead to me. And they do it in the first one. They do it in the second one, but they really do it in the remake is when she's possessed, she's in the cellar, and she's kind of propping the cellar door open with her head. And she's just kind of got this horrifying face looking out, not really looking at anyone, but is able to just know what is happening. And she's kind of chanting and cheering under her breath in this really horrific demonic voice as uh you know one of the other characters is in the kitchen like we're talking about 
cutting off her own arm. And it just kind of pans back and forth to the removal of your own arm to this demon basically cheering her on from the basement. It (laughs) It is horrifying. And when I think Evil Dead, all I can think about is her face there and her face just, you know, maybe half an hour beforehand when she's in the bedroom and she just got attacked by the forest and she, her face when she's explaining that there's something in the room with them mm. and the, the, the way that they do the lighting where it's kind of like her eyes look like pure horror. I don't think there's a better horror face in, in, in all of if any horror movie I've ever seen this face that she's able to able to make the camera angle that they do it with the lighting where she's saying very quietly, there's something in the room with them. Mm-hmm. And she's just got that kind of like open mouth, wide eye horror. And then basically that, but still a little bit of innocence because she's not yet fully possessed. She's not yet fully, uh, you know, become a demon. And then she's, <laughs> it's the same kind of face, but in a very different context uh, in, in the cellar, propping it open, cheering on the, 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 the poor woman as she's severing her own arm horrifying but when i think evil dead that is what i'm picturing yeah i i can't push back on that because that um when you were describing that face that she's making it sent once again chills down my spine yeah that actress the one who plays i think maya is the as yes, the, um, the character's yeah. name it's like um that actress is fantastic in this movie like she manages to play she has a lot a tall task she is the person who's going to be possessed first but she also yeah. ends up having to be the main emotional crux and through line for the film um, and also on top of all that, like they, yeah, like you're saying, she has to play scared. She has to play kind of like aloof and above it all. Mm-hmm. She has to play like tweaked out and yep. like and again like, losing her mind. And then she has to play for a good chunk of the film this like just like demon beneath the floorboards that's just like there. Even when she's not on screen, her presence is still kind of like oozing up from is like beneath the cracks and. Um, where the film goes and what she ends up doing, like is like how that movie ends up. It's like ends yeah. is just ridiculous. It's like, and it's like, gets back to like evil dead's kind of more like, yeah, usually over the top. Yeah, like, exactly. Ridiculous aspect of it, but they still are playing it pretty straight. And she as an actress is definitely playing it straight. Um, and, and that's what I love about the, the remake version is it's still, it has every, it, it's a constant nod to the, to the original. It never deviates from the, those perfect canonical scenes from the first one. Uh, it, it follows it to a T. It just gets rid of all the comedy, gets rid of all the kind of the, the schlockiness of it, goes full horror, but you know, you're watching Evil Dead. You yeah. know, you're watching like an exact modernization an exact kind of uh, a different feel different energy but it, it holds true to the original but yeah you're right at the end it, it does kind of have that um that kind of reminder of of knowing its roots where it is over the top it is borderline comedy it, mm-hmm. not not quite but it, you know what i mean yeah. it, it does kind of have that feel to it where you go this is evil dead this yeah. is this well done you you kind of want to applaud it at the end you know you want to be you want to be that person in a movie theater who gets up and claps 
Like it, it's. <laughs> I'm just picturing like Shia LaBeouf standing in the back of the thing, like clapping really intensely, like he does yeah. in that meme, as like <laughs> she just. This woman with one hand cuts a demon in half with in a chainsaw, half, yeah. and then the demons sit, <laughs> seeping like, back into the ground yeah. as like the bubbly blood comes up, and they're like, "Well oh, done, well done, <laughs> you made an Evil Dead, and that's impressive." <laughs> no, it, okay. it, it, yeah, it's awesome. It is awesome. <laughs> All right, one last question before we like move our way into our conclusion. Um, so you and I are both part of the same extended family. We are. Um, it's like, and uh, we, as an extended family, will actually be heading off for a joint vacation in the new year. Um, and while that locale will be decidedly less woodsy um, <laughs> like than a cabin in the woods, it did get me to thinking, if we were all to find a creepy book on our vacation with some incantations scribbled in something that can probably only be described as blood, who do you think would be foolish enough to actually read it aloud. Who in our extended family would be the poor unfortunate soul that decides to read the incantation aloud and release hell upon us all? Oh man, does that put me in an awkward position? Uh, I love that question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You you know what? Honestly, the the one and only answer that really comes to mind, and if I'm allowed to use real names here, I'm not sure, but... You are, yeah. 100% 100% Brad is picking that up, <laughs> reading it cover to cover, going, What is this? and putting it away, <laughs> putting it away, <laughs> and not thinking twice about it while the rest of us are trying to <laughs> try to undo or at least run away from what he's conjured up. <laughs> you see, I, I love that because you can, I can definitely hear exactly that. <laughs> the only other option might be actually my wife, Lauren, because. We were, we'll just be standing in the grocery store and I'm talking to her and then suddenly she'll just say jerky buff. I'm like, what? And she's just <laughs> reading the package of the jerky, it's like of the jerky, but in French, like the, so it's yep, like on the yep, back. Yep. She's like, so I could just see us sitting there and we, the book is just out and she's just sitting there absolutely staring at it going like, Klaatu, Barata, <laughs> like <laughs> just saying things Calm out loud down. after. <laughs> yeah. And afterwards we're like, we're like, what? She's like, what? <laughs> See, the, the only reason I, Lauren honestly Lauren was my first my first thought I went there and then, and then I thought about it and went okay but in in Evil Dead it says don't you know it literally says don't read this book uh you know it is warnings everywhere yep. and, and Lauren you know Lauren's Lauren's a smart cookie I feel she like, also hates horror movies <laughs> oh not, well sure but if something says don't touch this and it's made out of presumably human flesh yeah uh, you know, and, and maybe wrapped in barbed wire as well I, I can't really see Lauren interacting past that point she'd probably go something seems maybe I shouldn't progress any further that is fair. That is fair. Brad, on the other hand. <laughs> <laughs> like, just too practical. Brad is just yeah, too practical. I, mean. like, I, I feel like Brad would go, what's this barbed wire doing here? I have a tool for that. He'd cut the barbed wire off. He'd open up the book. He'd start reading and go, this is ridiculous, and throw it off the boat, and that would be the end of that book. Or, yeah, I, or, or, or wherever the circumstances for this uh, hypothetical, this, cir- yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah. the fictitious like vacation that we may or may not be taking yeah, at some point exactly. to parts unknown. <laughs> I, I do, I do love that. I hadn't considered that, but I think you're 100 percent right. Um, I would like to share an anecdote because, like, um, my my like family on the other side, 
went on a vacation quite recently to a cut like to a cottage that wasn't in, really in the woods but it was more woodsy and we get in there and there's all the different rooms of like that and the one we got some for some reason has a like old-fashioned baby crib in it um to which i was like my sister's partner who's been on the podcast before made the joke of like okay well who gets the room with the baby ghost yeah um yeah, no kidding which lauren was not a fan of <laughs> throughout the course of our stay there like we found this really creepy doll that was no. in the corner it's like when we were it's like the first night we were there the ceiling fan had three lights that were all working the second night only two of the nights were working lights were working the third night only one of the lights were working. We're like thank god we're leaving tonight because i don't know what the hell happens tomorrow night it's like it's counting down till we get murdered by this baby ghost <laughs> Oh, I don't like that. I know. (laughs) So I have definitely thought long and hard about fam. was like my family and then our extended family being trapped in it's like uh, like horror movie scenarios and what would happen. Um, And yes, I do think that Brad's practicality would be an asset in the aftermath. But, but it might be, the thing, <laughs> it might be the thing that doomed us all to begin with. <laughs> That's where my mind goes. And, and, and I will say I, I love Brad and I, I think he would do it with, with no, 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 um, you know, uh, no, no intent to cause any harm. But I think just the, the, the Brad uh, of the Brad of Brad, who, who Brad <laughs> is, would just pick up the book, read that passage and be done with it onto the next one. <laughs> I just love the what is this and throws it. Like, I'm like, yep, exactly. That's Brad, yeah. <laughs> so now, Tyler, I have a question for you. Oh, because the tables. That's right. Because who watches the Watchmen? Right. I, I got to be the one. I have to ask you a question. It can't just be you all the time. Yeah. So let me ask you this question. Okay. In the horror community. Yes. And we've all know we all know that sometimes movies get remade. The franchises, uh, what should be one movie becomes five, six, and just keeps on going. It happens all the time. Let me ask you: If it was a requirement that every year one horror movie had to be remade, and the way that it gets determined is basically a community vote. You know, mm. Ten movies are up for consideration. You can only pick one every year, but there always has to be a remake. What is one movie that you hope would never be remade because it's perfect? And because you're a horror, or sorry, a movie guy, I'll say, you know what? It doesn't have to be horror. Any movie in the world, untouchable, never remake it. It is perfect as is. Oh, that's a really hard question. I'm going to keep myself to the horror genre because I think that'll make it easier for me. Um, it's like you know, like there's there's this a television series, uh, anime series called Trigun that's getting a remake. Is like recently, and like when at first they announced they were doing it, I then thought to myself like that'll be like you know what, like the original Trigun, I love that show, but it has room for improvement. It's like so I'm trying to find is like what will be the movie where I feel like there's no room for improvement, the horror movie, and I gotta say like after the recent episode on it, probably Jaws, like. If they remade Jaws now as Jaws, they'd use a CGI shark. They'd do stupid shit. They'd probably try to be closer to the book 
is it which is like the oh yeah don't go near there no 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 it's like so there's like they inject back in all that stupid crap about the mafia and about like it's like richard dreyfus like having an affair with brody's <laughs> why pierre benchley why what, what why? Did you that? yeah i'm so happy they deviated from that but yes go on so that is uh, that is the one that i really want to choose because i feel like that is a movie that it was first of all it was made like by a brilliant filmmaker Second of all, it was like an all-star cast of people who were like known, but not necessarily the biggest stars in the world. And it made them like kind of who we think they are. It's like um, something I'd say about the new Evil Dead remake. The only thing I would hold back on is that other than the lead actress, the vast majority of the other characters are pretty forgettable and their oh, actors are, yeah. are not doing a great job. It's like, um, which, you know, can be said of the original Evil Dead as well, but there is no Ash in that, that, in that series. Like there's no like iconic chin quite that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but go, but going back to Jaws, it's like um like all is like and also like the thing is like yeah the the limitations of that film it's ridiculous like um almost legendary production yeah it's like it at this is. stage like it just it made it into something that I don't feel like you could remake it's like and if you did remake it you'd remake it safe and you'd remake it boring and um that's not what I want so that's the one I would choose actually uh, maybe it's just I, the Jaws I, on my head but that's the one that I'm thinking. I love that answer, and, and uh, I know you guys kind of talked about it in a previous episode of, of the podcast, and uh, for all listeners out there, if you haven't checked that episode out, you definitely should. It's great. Uh, th- there's, that one, <laughs> there's that one scene in Jaws, and, and you guys talk about it, this is why it's fresh for me, where he's kind of just, I think he's chumming the water, and he's paying no attention at all, and it, the shark is right there. The camera angle is perfect. The fact that they don't really acknowledge it, and it's kind of like hereditary, where where mm-hmm. the, the the horror comes from the fact that we see it, the, you know, they Before don't. He sees it exactly, yeah. <laughs> and, and that is perfect. And to me, you're right. If they remade that, they would ruin that scene. They would ruin uh, all of the the, the 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 emotion that what you know when, when Alex gets killed, like everything that kind of mm. comes with that. That's perfectly done. And you're right. Yeah. If they ever remade that, it would just be, it would never live up. Uh, when, when I was kind of thinking about the question, because I think that's a great answer, at first my mind went, oh, Psycho. Never touch Psycho. And then I went, they already oh, did that. oh, but they already did multiple times. And then made it to a TV show. So they've ruined that one entirely. But wow. that, that's what kind of inspired the question for me, was basically the, the what is untouchable. And to me, those classics, you don't touch them. You don't. Yeah. Or less, less you ruin them entirely, which unfortunately for Psycho, they did. But yeah, oh, you're right. Jaws shot for shot remake. Oh, it's it, why? Like why? We we why were we were so much better off. And and he, yeah, yeah, I know. Jaws, great answer. Love that. that that's the, the the perfect answer to the question. They shouldn't have made Jaws two or three or four, but they, they, please never remake Jaws. <laughs> remake Jaws four. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what we need just make sure to get michael kane back <laughs> oh leading actor yeah of course <laughs> I, I get it i know you guys talked about it but like michael kane would never turn down anything <laughs> <I think he's... laughs> and we love him for it <laughs> yeah, we, i was gonna say without him like he made that movie but yeah i mean it's it's uh Maybe like an only Michael Caine reboot. That's it. He, <laughs> he plays every he plays role. Every role. <laughs> Even the shark. I will sign off on that, especially if the shark talks with the with his voice. Oh, yeah. That's that's the movie I need. Do we have any producer friends we can call for that? Oh, 
done with that type of kraut, uh, grout, I don't think, in the <laughs> thing, but uh, we'll, we'll see what we can pull off. <laughs> Section 4. Conclusion. Well, with that, I think there's nothing left but to get to the conclusion of this here episode. The conclusion is the portion where we conclude things. Makes sense. Uh, but we do things here a little bit different. Um, while most podcasts would provide some sort of numerical grade or an A to F sort of deal here, uh, we think the idea of trying to put all of the world, like movies of the world onto one numerical scale is a little bit stupid. Like, for instance, how can you compare The Evil Dead? against something that is so ridiculously different evil dead like they're just like almost you can't even compare them there's such different movies between the comedy horror and the horror aspect so instead what we're going to be doing here is we're going to be is like taking the evil dead and we are going to be basically comparing it on its own scale of one particular thing one specific aspect that it has and we're going to provide a positive control which means 100 percent success at that thing and negative control which is zero percent success of that thing and then we'll tell you where the evil dead hangs out in that that nice little spectrum we've created there um so would you like to go first for this one since i went first for the bakers or would you like me to do take a take the reins again yeah tyler why don't you why don't you kick us off and i'll, I'll jump in right after sounds like a plan Okay, so I'm going to be measuring the Evil Dead, nay, I'm going to be measuring the cabin in the Evil Dead against other mundane yet terrifying settings that make you say, nope, and GTFO as soon as you saw them. Because <laughs> we didn't talk about it a whole lot, but the cabin in this is perfect. It yeah. is like, in, in the first Evil Dead, it's perfect. In the second one, it looks exactly the same, so it's also perfect. It's not the same one, but it looks exactly the same. In Evil Dead, it looks exactly the same. Once again, not the same one, because I'm not sure if you knew this. The original Evil Dead cottage burned down. Correct, yeah, that's right, yeah. Within, like, within a year of them filming this. Yeah, they got one chance, and that was it. Yeah. It's like a little bit disconcerting that Satan decided he was going to bring the cabin back to hell with him after <laughs> Sam Raimi was done. <laughs> But if we're going to put, I'm going to be comparing the idea of cabins, specifically the cabin in the Evil Dead against other such, uh, such settings that are mundane yet scary. Hmm. And so my positive control is going to be basements. And I'm specifically going with the basement in The Conjuring. Oh, good one. Yeah. It's, it, yeah, I love that. It's terrifying. Like, it's like, I, we've all been, we've all been children. We've all been that moment as a child when you're like walking up the base basement stairs where like someone's turned the light off down below you and there's this oh. feeling yeah, like there's something behind walking. you. You're not you're walking, not, you're running. You're on all fours, like <laughs> yeah. just crawling up those stairs at like a mad pace. And the conjuring is exactly the reason why. There are gonna be an entire generation of children that watch that too early. They're never gonna be able to go into basements. I was a full ass adult when I watched that film and later on I was sitting there going, I'm so scared of the basement and Lauren's like, we don't have a basement. <laughs> you don't know that <laughs> there could be one. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree with you more. It, it, for me, signs, uh, the, 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 um, oh, uh, the Shyamalan, movie. Uh, yeah. yeah. So when, when the kid's just kind of standing there and then the alien's hands reach through the bars yeah. and grab them. Oh, I was, I wasn't going anywhere near a basement that had anything that even looked like bars because that <laughs> was, uh, yeah, no, no, no prison for me as a, as a child either, not interested nope. in, you know, committing nope. any crime and going there. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that. Thank you, signs. That. that thank that's you. What's, signs. That, Scared that's you on the straight and narrow. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's a Shyamalan twist. No one was expecting. But that, no. that's. <laughs> that, like, <sighs> I, I could not agree with you more. Basements are. Oh, in the Conjuring. Oof. Yeah. That, that's that's such a, a such a scary basement. Good one. 
Yeah, and so, but my negative control is going to be another very common horror movie Zega setting, which is uh, the suburbs in autumn at night, um, specifically in Halloween. Mm, um, yeah. So, like, I'm not saying anything bad about the setting. It's a perfect setting for that movie because it is the juxtaposition of the two. You have this terrifying thing happening in such a mundane place. But it, to this day, it doesn't matter. If I'm walking through the suburbs at night, I'm not sitting there with like Halloween in my head. If I see a basement, especially an unfinished basement, I'm like, there are going to be some damn ghouls in that basement. I, I know this. There's going to be <laughs> someone behind me just, and I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> oh my God, that, that is a great example. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I definitely agree with you. I think the, it, it's a little... <sighs> Like the the setting of, of Halloween is a little too, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it could it could basically take place anywhere, and it's like oh, a little okay, too pedestrian. Well, yeah, exactly. It doesn't yeah. kind of have the same feel as you're right. A basement. I'm recording this right now from in a basement, and I, I'm starting to second guess my decision at this point. <laughs> I, I'm, yeah. I'm looking around nervously, kind of going, "Okay, how much time do we got left?" Because I gotta, yeah, I gotta, I gotta get on all fours and crawl up these <laughs> stairs quickly. <I'm... laughs> well, yeah, we don't want to keep you too much from doing that. So I will have to say that's like, so if I'm putting the Conjuring's basement at 100 percent and Halloween's autumn suburbs at night at zero percent in terms of mundane yet terrifying settings, I'm gonna put the as a cabin from the Evil Dead at a solid like 87, like. Cabins are terrifying because they're remote. If something goes wrong, there's no problems. Like, but they're also kind of a vacation spot, right? So, like, there is excitement when you show up. And also, we've all seen enough of these things that there's kind of, like, a little bit of a goofy, like, ho, ho, ho. Like, we're, we're out in a cabin in the woods sort of thing. Like, let's watch, like, scary movies. Let's watch The Evil Dead. Like, it almost kind of feeds into the enjoyment of the setting now because I think The Evil Dead has been so iconic and, like, kind of really gone in. Basements? Ain't, ain't nobody got time for scary basements it's like it's like rec rooms okay whatever but it's like but the fact that it's subterranean is not a bonus it's like i don't like the fact that it's a basement i'm just there for other reasons <laughs> that's good <laughs> okay so how about you what is your conclusion yeah you, you know and it's something we've kind of talked about throughout our, our time together here and it really comes down to a franchise and, and you can put this on a graph because i know you're a big science guy and that we can we can do it that way, and that's fine. And it's basically that kind of balance between, are we making a sequel because it's a good movie? Or are we doing this because we want more money and we don't care about how bad this is going to be and how much it's going to disparage what could have been a great standalone film? And for me, you can make that chart and you can start putting movies and franchises all over it when you're kind of plotting it out. And you've got the good, something like, uh, you, you know, like Nightmare on Elm Street or, or the Friday the 13th kind of uh, the franchise there where they can make 30 of those and, and they're not going to be any better or any worse than the first one. Yeah, you're going to have a couple that are, are along the way kind of hit and miss, but really it, it, it's kind of stagnant. It, it knows what it is and doesn't deviate from that. Halloween's another example of that, too. They can just keep making a new one every year. I'm okay with that. Then, I, I, sorry, go ahead. No, I was like, no, no you, it's like you carry on. I'm, I'm, I want to hear the bottom end. Uh, and all I'm going to say is, on the, the kind of converse of that, you've got something like Jaws, for example. If they made one and only one Jaws, and that was the movie, it would be a 10 out of 10. People would be talking about it. 
20 years, 50 years, 100 years later, you got to see Jaws. Instead, they kind of bastardized what Jaws is by making a sequel that we really didn't need to have a sequel. It didn't go over well. So they said, let's try again. Let's try again. You've got something like Psycho, which we talked about as well. Yeah. Why, why did it need three movies in a TV series? Why? Why we didn't need that? And, it's and, in a movie. <laughs> and then you've got something like Paranormal Activity, which I don't know if I can put this as positive or negative. Paranormal Activity one, it was you know that kind of found footage uh, genre that you know Blair Witch Project kind of revolutionized in a lot of ways. It's good. It's really well done. And I'm glad they did a second one because it did kind of tie up a few loose ends while keeping the story actually going. Number three, okay, I I see why we did three. Four has nothing to do with any of the first three other than just kind of referencing it. And then they made a fifth one that had nothing to do with anything because they kind of realized their mistake, but they said, well... We've already made four, might as well make five. (laughs) And it kind of falls somewhere in between where one and two, I would say for the franchise, necessary. Three, that's kind of your turning point. And I don't know if you're plotting this out on a chart and you're trying to map it out that way. There are so many examples of things we never needed and yet exist. And so many things we kind of look at and say, one was enough, two was plenty. 11 like scream you know <laughs> that kind of thing or, or like i know what you did last summer but yeah you know, where, where it's kind of just like did we need them were they necessary i don't know did it ruin the franchise i don't think so did it make it better see previous answer like, <laughs> it, 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 it's it's such an interesting debate and, and one that i think kind of pick any franchise and you can throw it onto the chart or to the graph and, and you're going to find uh, there, there's a, there's an equal and opposite uh, reaction to every, every single franchise that you can plot there. So with this like lovely chart that you've created of like a line is like in terms of how those it's like franchises that really they should have stopped at one is like, and they just kept going because money and the franchises where they actually <laughs> had like creative juices left and yep. they were able to keep on going with it. Where does Evil Dead fall in that? Is like assuming like the former is zero percent and the latter is like a hundred. I, I honestly, I think I put Evil Dead dead center. Mm, so, I, I, so that was what you're saying. It was the one in the very middle. To, to me, that is the example of one that they could have made one and we would have been just fine. They made more than one, and it did not hurt the franchise. I, I don't necessarily think it it helped its legacy per, per se. Uh, you know, certainly kind of uh, expanded to different kind of genres and, and, and kind of tried different things. Yes, but one really did capture most of that right there. I, I don't know. I, and that's the thing. I, I think it's a debate. I, I think you can, you can yeah. certainly, yeah. No, I think it's an interesting debate, an interesting question. Because there's lots of things that you said that I that I agree with. And then there's some things you said that I disagree with. I think First, first of all, I have to go back and I say, like, they should have just made one Halloween movie. I'm putting that down right now. There's like that movie's great. Everything that came after is not. I'm I will this is my hill to die on. I will stand before this. We did not need H2O. <laughs> <laughs> we did not need whatever the fuck David Gordon Green is doing right now. Oh, t- <laughs> tell that the tell that the leprechaun with Jennifer Aniston. 
Yeah, that, w- one was plenty, and then they just th- then they went to the hood, then they went to space. I mean, they were all over the place with that guy. It was, uh... <laughs> but there was, but there was no like dis- disparity, as you were saying, like like with the like with like Friday the Thirteenth or with uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Like you know, the first movie is like a take it or leave it, like is like movie for me. So everything that follows is pretty much the same. Yeah, I love the first Halloween movie. I think it's fantastic, and like is like way better than so many other slashers of its time. Uh, it was the first, I suppose. Uh, yeah. but I guess Texas, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh uh, yeah, first. yeah. This was the first with like the kind of like babysitters in a, like in a small suburb sort of sure. sort of vibe. Um, so that's one thing. It's like the other thing is that I kind of agree with you in the way that they could have made the first Evil Dead and it would still have an impact. People would still know it. Um, I honestly think that the reason this franchise exists to this day, why people still care about, while Ash as a character, as an icon, is still known, is because of Evil Dead Two. Um, because of like when people think of Ash from the Evil Dead, they're not thinking of him from the first one. They're thinking of the chainsaw for a hand, <laughs> like she's like shot off sun, uh, like sawed off shotgun, shot off shotgun, yeah, twirling around, blowing it out, saying groovy. groovy. Like that yeah. is what they're thinking. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and so it's it's funny to think that like if the Evil Dead had just been the been one, we would it would still have been influential. But I don't think it would be a cult hit the same way that it is now because of the second one. I think you could have probably left off Army of Darkness. You could have left off everything that came after. But without the second one, I don't think we'd still be talking about this movie with the same rapturous like applause that we are doing right now. That's a very fair point. I definitely do support that for sure. And, and, and I just kind of think of that example maybe is truly the anomaly. Because if you think of something like um, uh, Insidious, for example, one was one was fine. We didn't need it to. Did it add to it? Maybe a little bit, but not really. But but to your point, and then they made a third. And you're kind of like, at what point does this kind of get away from what this movie was versus what it is now? And, and you're right. With, with Evil Dead, I think it, it arguably did improve for the genre that it kind of found itself in in the second one and yet yeah. still iconic enough in the first to to warrant a uh, a remake you know 30-ish years later they didn't remake evil dead 2 they me- remade evil dead 1 so yeah, I don't what think you, you could re- i don't think you could remake uh, evil dead 2 to this day. I, well, <laughs> very true at which point you know does it and that's where the, i think the debate kind of happens so maybe it's more like center left a little bit on the chart of um we're thankful for it we didn't necessarily need it but we're we're okay that it's around mm, gotcha. so you know it's not about the money that we're not that definitely wasn't about the money for evil dead uh, no. but <laughs> it certainly was a project that they were passionate about that we were were thankful we we were able to receive versus so much of the garbage that comes out every year that we're just going to force fed. Yes. It has 50 times the budget and all the CGI and effects that, you know, uh, something like evil dead never had. Does that make it better? No. Does that disparage what the franchise could have been? Yeah, it, it most certainly does. The, 
best way to end this podcast is with that feeling of thankfulness. Thankful for <laughs> like Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell for doing this wonderful, it's like uh, these, this wonderful franchise that it's still going. I've watched the first three episodes of Ash vs. Evil Dead and I'm in love with it. I will be continuing to watch that series as we go forward. Um, and keeping in with the idea of thankfulness, we are at the end of the episode, so of course we have our acknowledgement section. And we always give a big thank you to start to our first author, Stephen, you did it. You I came did. in here, you, st- you started swinging for the fences, <laughs> and, I'm, and I must say, you hit quite a few ball- it's like balls along the way. There, I think there were some home runs in there. It's like, I, I don't know, I'm not a sports guy, that's a good thing, right? We like those things. Sure, and, and I'm excited to come back for the next time, and then the time after that, and the time after that, until this first episode loses all purpose. Why did we do this? That's what I'm looking forward to, Tyler. <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to having you back anytime you like to talk about anything you'd like, be it horror movies or like sports movies. Or if you want, we can just keep talking about the Evil Dead over and over and over again until, as you say, we get to ep- like Evil Dead Episode 7. And uh, we're just like, well, I've watched Enti- this movie entitled, so many times. Entitled Why. Uh, that's just... <laughs> just- why (laughs) (laughs) no but honestly tyler thank you for the opportunity to be here um i you know like we kind of talked about at the beginning of the uh beginning of this episode i'm thankful for the opportunity this is really cool this is something that i'm looking forward to to sharing on my social media channels as well with your blessing of course of course Uh, (laughs) uh, this was really really cool a lot of fun thank you and for any listeners out there where maybe this is your your first time listening i'm sorry don't begin here stop stop right now go back and listen to any other episode you'll be better off you haven't finished the episode it's not too late (laughs) no but honestly thank you tyler this was a ton of fun Uh, i appreciate it what what started off as a conversation with the sun uh, still very much in the air uh, or, or wherever the sun lives the sun is now gone it is dark i'm in a basement i'm uncomfortable how much longer do we have to talk for please wrap this up so i can run away yes sir i will i will wrap this up quickly it's like it's like by also giving a big thanks to brett kinrad for a long-awaited theme music which has been playing throughout as well as our fabulous editor felicity james we also have to give some thanks to the other voices we heard throughout including jenny jonathan and of course satan love you satan keep up the good work you're doing a great job with 2022 i must say it's been your best year yet um if you'd like to provide a review of our submission feel free to email us at artsunionscience at gmail.com all one word with no caps you can tell us if you accept our findings accept them with revisions or just outright reject them we in academia used to rejection and won't take it personally you can also find things i fear is like on the internet as well as on facebook and are there other things as well that you use yeah i mean we're, we're excited to be on the internet now that, that was a that was a big turning point for us exactly it was it was a big day <laughs> it, it really was we were we were stuck on the uh, you know eight track and floppy disk for a while we kind of broke free <laughs> here we are it's a good feeling um you, you can use google that that's a thing now to find us um yeah. otherwise facebook instagram i barely do anything on those channels so definitely go check those out that's good for five minutes. Uh, <laughs> so, things I fear. Yeah, we try to put out new content uh, every week, uh, whether it be a, a new fear that you've maybe heard of or a fear that you've never heard of. Uh, we've got movie reviews. We've got top 10 lists. And, and it's not just me writing. we got people from all over the world submitting ideas, submitting posts. So I'm, I'm going to use the remaining 45 minutes of this episode to just talk about me. I, no, I'm, I'm totally kidding. Is it, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go. Uh, I'm going to go pour a drink. I'll be back. When after you're done. 
<laughs> no, uh, it, it's uh, this has been a lot of fun, Tyler. Thank you. Appreciate it. No worries. And thank you all for listening. Make sure to join us again in two weeks' time for yet another episode of the Arts Union Science Journal. Your session with the Arts, Union, Science Journal has expired. Please try again later.